Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. All right, so today we're going to look in Joshua chapter 2. We're going to cover seven verses. We're going to look at, this is going to be a, a two, Joshua 2 is going, it's going to be like a two-part chapter for me. We'll finish it next week. Uh, we're going to look at true conversion in, in, in this one, and Rahab is going to be our key player. Now, when you think about Jesus and the disciples, um, we know with the disciples that Judas he fooled all the other 11 disciples into thinking he was the real deal, right? But he couldn't fool Jesus. He could never fool Jesus. I mean, Judas even had the right wordings at time when he, remember when they poured the perfume over Jesus, he goes, this should have been sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. He sounds righteous, doesn't he? He sounds like one of the team, and yet Jesus would say that one of you among, among you is a devil, one of you will betray me. He would make these statements because he, and it says he knew who that was. And if you ever want to see something interesting, look at when the Bible and the Gospels list the disciples, all their names, Judas' name is typically always last on the list. Because Jesus knew, he, and the disciples always list him last, but Jesus knew who the real deal was. And... Um, I was asking uh, Cindy here before we started. Um, I remember when we were in Israel last time. We were in Bethlehem, and I looked up, and there was a Starbucks in Bethlehem. And then we looked closer, and it wasn't Starbucks, Jerry. It was remember, it was Star and Bucks, okay? <laughs> but it had all the right colors and everything, and it's like, oh, it's not a Star. It's a Star and Bucks, you know? It looked right, you know? And, and then when I turned my back, Cindy went and bought me the mug, the coffee mug, Starbucks, so, but it looked right, but it wasn't the real deal, you know, and so, I, can I tell you a funny story? Yeah. Okay. Oh, good, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think it's funny, but about 10 years ago, I went to Comic-Con. Do you guys know what Comic-Con is? Okay, I was fortunate enough to go to Comic-Con three times without having to pay. Praise the Lord, amen? But... Um, only because we have somebody in our church who is in the comic industry and stuff like that. So he, he got me in, and I took about three other people with my sons and other people. And uh, one year we were down there, and I spot Vin Diesel there. And I go, Vin Diesel. And so I go, guys, look, it's Vin Diesel. So I, I go, Vin, hey, can I take a picture with you and my two sons? Oh, yeah, sure. And we take a picture. I go, hey, thanks, Vin. And I come home, and I show the picture. And uh, I think, Rhonda, it was you. I showed the picture. You don't remember. You're getting older now, but you don't. Um, <laughs> and so Rhonda used to be in my youth group as a 16-year-old, okay? So we go way back. So I showed the, I, I'm sure it was you. I showed the picture to Rhonda. I go, look, I took a picture with Vin Diesel. And she goes, that's Daughtry from American Idol. And I look, I go, it is Daughtry. And I thought, Vin Diesel is acting like Daughtry or vice versa. No, I didn't do that. But I, I thought, oh my gosh, I, I can't even get that one right right there. And I kept calling him Vin, okay? <laughs> oh, my Lord God. But, you know, he looked it to me. He looked like the guy, but he wasn't Vin Diesel. <laughs> he was Daughtry. <laughs> so, uh, so, so I couldn't spot him, you know. But Jesus, when it came to the real deal, he could spot, you know. <laughs> I just got to laugh. It's so ridiculous. But Jesus, he could spot who the real ones were and who the real ones weren't. So we're going to cover seven verses tonight. 
Rahab will be the main player. And uh, we'll cover two of the real deal statements of what she exemplifies in a real follower, in her case, Yahweh, in our case, follower of Jesus Christ. But I'll do some other bullet points that will follow along this path tonight. So here we go, Joshua chapter 2 now, as we've now taken three weeks in Joshua 1, and now we're moving to chapter 2. Verse 1 says, Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Now, Jericho will be the first city that they conquer, okay? Um, this first city, I, 20 years ago, they, we were taught that it was about seven to eight acres big, uh, which is, you know, about the size of our campus here. But I've, I've read more and more in the, the different uh, modern-day archaeologists, Christian ones, and one of the main ones, Titus Kennedy, who's great in archaeology, Christian archaeology, he stated that um, Jericho was more like 17 acres. And so you understand how small these cities were. You think they're massive metropolis. No, it would be like, a little over double the size of our campus here is the size, the land of Jericho. The wall, he stated, about 20 feet high. And so this is the first city they're going to go to. Now, if you looked at the map of Israel, they're coming in. Jericho's kind of in the middle, so it's kind of a great launching area. If you take this city, then you can split and you can start taking the land north and you can take the land south. So it's a really good strategic area to start with. Now, bullet point first one, and that's this. Joshua is following a precedent by sending in spies. He is following a precedent by sending in spies. Notice Joshua sends in two spies to spy out the land, but especially to spy out the city of Jericho. Okay, you should have said Jericho, but you left me hanging. But it's okay, okay. Now, some scholars, some Bible teachers will criticize Joshua for spying out the land. He should have just trusted God, should have just gone with this thing. But I say no, because have you ever noticed that faith and wisdom go hand in hand? I mean, God gives us wisdom. God, we put faith in our hearts. So here's, but here's my bigger disagreement when they say that Joshua made a mistake by sending in spies. No, remember that Joshua in chapter one, verse eight, he's the first person to ever be guided by the book. Remember we said that? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Remember that one? So he's going to be guided by the book. Moses write it all down. Joshua is following the book. He's guided by that. Well, here's the question. If he's guided by the book, what did Moses do when he came uh, near the promised land? What did he do? Sent out spies, right? And so he sets a precedent to send out spies. And so Joshua is being guided by the book, and he sends out spies. And it's smart just to go survey it, see what's going on. I mean, didn't Nehemiah, when he gets to Jerusalem, remember? He doesn't start working on the wall right away. He takes three nights. First, he's, he's relaxing, and then by the third night, then he walks the wall to see all the problems with the wall, Right? So he surveys the situation before he leaps. How many marriages would have been better off if we surveyed them a little longer? Amen to that one? Instead of taking a big leap. Any, there was very few amens when I said that right there. No, no, I always tell, and you'll hear me say this in the future, and you've heard me in the past, that, you know, 
There's too many marriages. They, it's like you're, you're buying a car and you call them up and you find out they have this car for sale and it's a year old and you, you go there and you, I'd like to see the car. Where is it? And the person comes out. They go, I'll be right back. I'll show you the car. And they come out with a fender and that's all they show you. Now the question is, would you just buy the car and say, oh, the fender's nice. I'll take the car. Would you do that? There's no way. But people dating do that all the time. Because if you date for a short period of time, say they're the one, you've only, they've only shown you the fender, friend. They haven't shown you the whole car. You don't know if the headliner's ripped or the tires are flat. You don't know anything. You don't even know if it'll start. You know nothing about that car. And so you got to survey a little longer. Amen to that one? That was good enough. Let's go eat now. That was great. No, I, so but so you got you to be careful with things like that. So he's surveying uh, the situation. Now, Oh, I think I jumped my nose. Okay, now, <clears throat> how many spies did Moses send out again? Twelve. <laughs> okay, this is not a guessing game, okay. Twenty-seven. <laughs> uh, he sent out twelve. How many spies does Joshua send out? Two. So now, he's, you're finding that he is following the book, but he's following the wisdom of somebody else's mistake in the book, Right? Because do you remember when Moses sends out the 12 spies? When they came back, what two of the guys, Joshua and Caleb, they say, oh, by all means, man, this land's good. Let's take it. What do the 10 guys say, the 10 others? There's no way. We cannot get it, Numbers 13. We can't do it. And they even said this. They go, the land really is good. It looks really good. But there's a problem. There's giants there. The Neph- we saw the Nephilim there. And then they make this statement, and it's an amazing statement. They say, and we were, uh, we were like grasshoppers in their eyes, and we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Isn't that weird? But let me tell you what they're really saying, because sometimes, and this will help somebody in this room. They're saying is, the way you view yourself is the way you will think others view you. Did you hear what I just said? The way you view you is the way you think others will view you. So the way you view you is really important. Your identity in Christ, really, really important. So the 10 guys bring out a bad report, and because they brought a bad report, they, the Israelites, this, this nation ready to cross, will spend 40 years in that desert. Because they start crying, complaining, you brought us out here to kill us, we want to go back to Egypt. And God says, okay, you're not going in. You're not going in. So 40 years, I got to let that whole generation die off. So he's just following the book, and he's learning from the mistakes of others. Question, do you ever learn from the mistakes of others? Yeah, it's just, it's not, I'd rather learn from their mistakes than my mistakes. A better way to go, right? Now, bullet point second one is this. Satan pulls out all the stops when we're close to breakthrough. Satan pulls out every stop he can when we are close to breakthrough. Now remember, they send two spies out from what city again? Shidem. And I make careful, I always say Shidem. Okay. Okay. Now, Shidem is where they're camped before they move the last 10 miles next to the Jordan River when they're going to cross. And we get the late in next chapters. So they're in Shidem. Now, something happens in Shidem. Now, keep your marker right here and turn to Numbers 25. Go to your left to Numbers 25. Something happens in this place. 
When you're there, say, I'm there. Now watch this. Uh, we're going to cover about nine verses here. While Israel remained at Shittim, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. Now we find out they're getting into some sin here. For they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, small g, these are idols, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. Are they making big mistakes here? You better believe they are. So Israel joined themselves to Baal of Peor, and the Lord was angry with them. Now they're following Baal. I mean, this is a false god. The Lord said to Moses, God says, okay, Moses, take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord. That's kind of tough, isn't it, right there? Yeah, but you know, there's a plague, and God will call it a plague. And execute them on broad daylight before the Lord. So that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you slay, verse 5, Each of you slay his men who have joined themselves to Baal of Peor. In other words, all the people that have turned from Yahweh to idol worship, you got to kill them. Then behold, one of the sons of Israel came and brought to his relatives a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the sons of Israel while they were weeping at the doorway of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest saw it, he arose from the midst of the congregation and took a spear in his hand and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and pierced both them through the man of Israel and the woman through the body. So the plague on the sons of Israel was checked those who died by the plague were 24,000. Now, no, here's what, I, you know, you think, man, that's intense, isn't it? Yeah, it really, really is. But here's, the, here's some of the moral lessons that we can learn from it. Um, <clears throat> they're knocking at the door of the promised land. They're just right there, man. I mean, they're ready to go in there, and all of a sudden, Satan says, okay, we know this is what God has for them, but we're going to throw something at these guys to try to keep them from ever getting in there. They're this close, but I'm going to try something. And so what he does is he throws sexual temptation at them, the Moabite women, and he throws idolatry at them, and they fall for it, and they go for it, and God's not happy. And God calls it a plague. And so God has to stop the plague. 24,000 people who had endured the desert, who had been walking with Yahweh, who are this close to the promised land, they die. You always have to remember that the closer you get to whatever that promised land is, whatever that thing is you're hoping God for, the closer you get, the greater the temptations will come in your life. And I find it not fascinating, but typically consistent that it's a sexual temptation thrown at them. That's interesting. You know why? Because you look at our society and you look at it, it's over-sexualized. Any amens on that one? It's sexually stimulated everywhere. And so it's a breeding ground. It's a demonic breeding ground that's hell-bent on destroying any marriage. Because we all know, we've lived long enough to know that there's so many marriages that break up. And then you find out that one of the spouses had somebody on the side. Any amens on that one? Because it's a sexually stimulated society. I'm the guy that watches ID channel. Anybody else? Three of you? Oh, we got to start over now. No, uh, no. but ID Channel is like murder mysteries type stuff, and I really enjoy, I like, I just think it'd be so cool to be a detective trying to figure it out. But, and then when the, a, a spouse is killed, and then as you watch the show, and then you realize, and many times it's, well, the spouse had their spouse killed. 
And they find out because they had some boyfriend or girlfriend on the side. And you always find these things going on because Satan will use sexual temptation in an over-sexualized society that he's created because he's the God of this world. And he'll use that down the road to get us, to knock us off, to, to get us to blow up our lives in some way. Any amens on that? The closer you get to it, the closer you get to your promised land, man, he's going to pull out all the stuff. When Jesus tells the disciples, get in the boat and go to the other side, he didn't say go a quarter. He didn't say go five eighths. He said, you're going to go to the other side. But then the storm came up. Question, do you remember when the storm came up? When it was? It was halfway. When they got halfway, the storm came up. Listen, when you're halfway, isn't that the place where you're, really, you're going to go one or the other because the storm's going to come up. You're going to say, no, we're going to make it all the way or like, this was a mistake. You're going to go one way or the other. But if you know it's God, you keep plowing through the storm. You keep, you keep rowing away, and Jesus will get you to the other side. But you don't talk yourself out of it if you truly believe this is what God told you to do. Any amens to that one? Now, here we go. Now, I'm still in verse 1. That's all we're at, right? Right? Okay, I'm still in verse 1? Yeah, okay, good. Um, now, <laughs> let's go back to, uh, to, to Joshua chapter 2. Now, <clears throat> the... He, he sends two spies into the city and they find their way to the house of an ex-prostitute by the name of Rahab, the key player in the chapter now. Now, there's a practical thing here and there's a supernatural thing going on. Let me give you the practical one. So they go into Jericho and they go to the house of an ex-prostitute now, strangers coming into Jericho, going into the house of everybody in the city thinks she's a prostitute, going into the house of prostitutes, that wouldn't arouse much suspicion, right? Right? Okay, so that's kind of practical. But here's what's amazing. Here's the supernatural part of it. These two guys, question, have they ever been to Jericho? Have they ever been in Jericho? Have they ever walked the streets of Jericho? How in the world do they find themselves going to the house of an ex-prostitute who we now will find out later is a believer in Yahweh? How do they do that? How does that happen? There must have been some internal guidance system that God was moving them and provoking them, go this way. They must, God must have been supernaturally guided into that place and they find a home where they have a person there ex-prostitute who's sympathetic to Yahweh God. Let me tell you what I think. I think that like Proverbs says, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And she's going to take care of these guys. She's going to hide them out. She's going to do all the right things. Now, next bullet point in your notes. Old titles don't go away quickly, do they? Old titles don't go away quickly. Now look back at verse 1. We're still there in Joshua chapter 2. She's called Rahab the what? It's okay to say the word. I mean, Rahab the harlot, right? Okay, so she's that question. Is she a harlot anymore? No, she's not. She's not. She's a convert to Yahweh. Now, <clears throat> our life when we come to Christ, when we finally seal the deal, our life changes, does it not? And, and, and there's this whole new person that now exists. But the thing is, are there people in our lives from the past who remember what we were like? Oh, yeah, that's right. 
And some of those people love to bring up what we are like. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, they love to do that. So old labels don't go away that quickly, correct? And yet as a believer, and this is the flip of the script, I'm washed in the blood, am I not? I'm a child of the living God, am I not? I'm forgiven of all my sins, am I not? That old label, that's washed, it's gone away. It doesn't matter what anybody tells me, what anybody says, this is who I am now. Any amen to that one? Now let me show you something that you need to key in on and grab a hold of because in Jesus Christ, He does a thorough job. Now, put your marker here. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, New Testament. 1 Corinthians 6. Now, while we're gonna, It's going to give you a list of sins, but I want to key off one statement in there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when you're there, say, I'm there. That's because you're using your phones, huh? No, I'm joking. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now watch this. Paul's going to take us through a list of sins. But I want, to see, I want you to see one of these statements, though, in the, after the list. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, revilers are abusive people, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now watch verse 11. Now, and by the way, the Corinthians, this city, this place was like sin central, man. It was like a sailor's town and every sin's going on there, all kinds of sexual. These people, I mean, what they've come out of, watch what Paul says, what they, he says, verse 11, such were some of you. You were that. Those were your old labels. But that's not who you are anymore. Uh-uh. And here's why you're not that label anymore. You were washed. By what? The blood of Jesus. You were sanctified. How so? Set apart by the Holy Spirit for good works. But you were justified. What does that mean? I'm declared innocent of every sin in my life. There's not a one anymore that I can be held accountable to. God wipes it all away through the blood of Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of our God. Such were some. You were that. So when somebody tries to relabel you from the past, no, 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 no. Today I went to give blood, you know, because as you're older, they want to take blood like every six months and stuff like that. So I went to give blood because they want to run some tests and stuff, nothing major. And so I'm sitting there and the lady was real talkative taking blood. I, I go, you're going to take all my blood? She goes, I'm going to shrivel you up. <laughs> and that, because I was joking, that's what she said to me. <laughs> I go, you're a medieval torturer, aren't you? So she's taken, the, you know, four vials. And how many don't like have blood taken? You don't like that. Really? Wow, it's no big, I guess. I guess everybody's got their own phobias. Um, but yeah, she's taking it out. And we're talking. And I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. She goes, oh, pray for this and that. And I got, I sure, I said, really, you know, because I'm, the vials are filling. I said, uh, yeah, I mean, it's the last thing I thought I'd ever be. I was, I was, like I said Sunday, I was changed in a moment of time. Everything changed. Every way I looked at life, everything, it was like, what happened to me, you know? But I said, God changed me in a moment of time. And I was trying to share as fast as I could before the, the while it's filling. I'm trying, you know? But, you know, and that's how God changed, changed you. You're new. 
You're not the person you once were. So if anybody tries to tell you things like, you know who you were, and by the way, isn't Satan the best at that? Doesn't he sit there and remind you, oh, you see what you did 15 years ago? I'm going to remind you of that. Let me tell you something. So what? The greater reality is under the blood. And it's washed away. You're declared innocent of all sin. Amen to that one. Eh? Now, now we get to go to verse 2, okay? Back to Joshua. <clears throat> it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Now we find that the king of Jericho has some counterintelligence, doesn't he? He's got some spies. He's keeping watch on these people. They have heard, we'll find out later, that they've heard that these, these nomads, these Israelites, are traveling through the desert. They've heard this. And now he knows they're 10 miles away in a place called Shidon, and there's 2 million of them camped out there. So he's got all this surveillance going on, and he's keeping watch out there. Now, verse 3. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. Stop! He's got such good surveillance, he knows where the two guys went into. He knows you guys, they went into Rahab's house. So he sends his guys in there, says, go get those guys and bring them out. We want, we want, we want to get them. Look, has he been watching to make sure that Israel, they're any, to see where they're at? To make sure they don't invade? Have they kept a lookout? Jesus said, the sons of this world are wiser than the Christian, the sons of God. One of the things of wisdom for us that we need to practice, we always got to be on the lookout where Satan wants entrance, right? Where he wants to come in. We got to make sure of those things. Because the Bible says he'll come and take opportunity, which means place, which means topos, which means topography, which means an area of a map. He'll come and try to get an area of our life. And once he gets that area of our life, gets us pretty hooked in there, then he springboards off that to other areas of our life. Did you know that? And that's the way he works. And he keeps taking more land and more land, and more land. Now, new thought. <clears throat> the king's men, they come to Rahab's door looking for the, for the two guys. What, is that? what does that mean to you and I? Has everything gone real smooth up to this point for the two spies? Oh, yeah. They go, man, we got in the city, we checked it out, we even found a place to hang out, there's a believer in here, the whole shot, and now trouble comes. That's the first time. Now, here's one of the biggest mistakes, and I think we fall into it in our Christianity. Isn't it just true because we're so idea, ideal, idealistic? We think our Christianity should flow just like that, huh? If we have any speed bumps, it's kind of like, just a little speed bumps. It's just, that's okay, God, I could do that. But, but when real trouble comes, we feel like, what's going on, God? This shouldn't be happening. Really, it shouldn't be happening? No. This is a part of normal life. You live in a fall. I live, you live in a fallen, corrupt, anti-God world. Remember that. So trouble is going to come. It's going to happen. Now, verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, now she's talking to these two guys, these guys, uh, the guys that have come to her door searching for these two guys. Yes. Uh, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. 
It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark, because that's what cities would do there to protect the city, that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. Did Rahab lie? Oh, yeah, she lied. (laughs) She lied. Is it ever okay to lie? Now. (laughs) I'll answer that question at the end of tonight's Bible study, okay? Because now I've drilled you in. uh, So we'll answer that question at the end. So we'll leave that. But I want to show you two now things about Rahab Evidence says that she's a true convert to Yahweh, okay? Number one, the first one is real converts change their past conduct. Not perfection, I'm not saying that. But they do change their past conduct. Now, she took the two spies and she hid them in her house. The old Rahab would have called the authorities and reported these guys to the authorities. Or, worse yet, the old Rahab would have practiced her trade with these two guys that she's left. Are you following me? So now we find that this woman has, has left her old ways behind. That's your first evidence of a true believer, we'll call it in Christ for our sake, that you have left the old ways behind. And you're constantly leaving the old ways behind. In a world where it's so blurred, no, you leave the old ways behind. Now, let's get to the second one, verse 6 and 7. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, say flax, which she had laid in order, in order on the roof, verse 7. So the men pursued them on the road. They believed her lie, guys. They pursued them on the road to the Jordan, to the fords, in other words, crossing areas on the Jordan. And as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. So they believe her, they split, they get out of the gate, and they're out there looking for these guys. They crossed over the Jordan and these little areas where they could cross. Now, what does this mean to you and I? Is the second point two. First, first one is you leave your past behind. Point two, real converts embrace a new way of living. Now, what does that mean? It means I let go of the past. And now I walk in a new way of life. Does that make sense? That's a true follower of Yahweh. For us, it's a true Christian person. Now, I think, I I know that I I said, I made this statement in a question after or before Bible study um, about a month ago or a month and a half ago. So let me take you on it again. How do I know she's embraced a new lifestyle? There is not an insignificant word in the Bible. And so I had you say the word flax. It says she laid flax on her roof. She did that. Why would the Bible, the writer, go out of his way to make sure you know she put flax on her roof? Why didn't just say she hid them on the roof? No, she hid them in the flax on the roof. Now, that's a very telling statement of this woman's transformation to walk in new life. Keep your marker here. Go to Proverbs 31. To your right a little bit. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs 31. Now, this is the virtuous woman, right? This is a very moral woman. This is like 
the woman right here. She's got all the talents and all the morality and everything. Verse 10 says, An excellent wife who can find. For her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts her. And he will have no lack of gain. Boy, that's a loaded statement, but I can't teach on that because I'm somewhere else. Okay. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. So now we find the virtuous woman, this moral woman. She works with flax. I don't think it's an accident in Joshua chapter 2 that it states that she worked with flax and laid it on the roof and she hid them in the flax. I don't think it is. I think what it's telling us, and you can turn back to Joshua, what it's telling us is this. That, yes, she left her old way of living. She was a prostitute, not anymore. She turned her back, she repented, and now she's embracing a new way of living. She's becoming a virtuous woman. Does that make sense? She's walking in a new way of life, and it's becoming very evident to everybody around her. So, here's how it works, uh, biblically for us. Um, We're not going to come back, so uh, go to Ephesians chapter 4. So you don't have to worry about coming back to Joshua. You know, I, am, I just can't wait on Sunday mornings till we get into Ephesians. I just, oh gosh, it's such a good book. Now watch this. Verse 22. That in reference to your former manner of life, You lay aside the what? Saying you lay aside that old way, the old stuff, the old things you were into, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, that you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now the insertion in the middle is the mind must be renewed, and we know it's renewed through the word of God. Amen? Amen? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you put off the old way and you're constantly renewing your mind and then verse 24, and put on the the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. But I must have my mind renewed to put on the new self because I've laid aside the old self. That's a true convert right there. I lay aside the old me, I put off and then I put on. I laid it off. So there's a vacancy in me now, right? Because I've laid it off. So i got to fill the vacancy with the things of God in my life. Does that make sense? She's a true convert. You're seeing these things. Now, let me, let me, let me drive this thing home. Was it okay for Rahab to lie? Okay, amen. Let's leave. No, I'm, I'm, no, I'm just joking. Let me just give you a, Can I give you a sidebar first? Okay, good. Um, by hiding the spies, she betrays her country. Ah, that's a little funny right there. Now, without going into major detail, aren't we supposed to obey governing authorities and stuff like that, right? This Romans 13, the whole shot. We ob- I don't have time to go into a 45-minute question and answer in this. We obey the governing authorities and laws of the land until they go against God's word. It's just that's the way it is, guys. Because we have a higher authority. Now, when I say that, I say it with always a little bit of fear because people can take it as a license to just go against anything. 
And that's not what I'm saying. So you better be real careful. How do I know that's true? Well, we studied Daniel, didn't we? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Bow before the idol of Nebuchadnezzar. What they say? Can't do it. But it's law. Can't do it. You're going to die. Can't do it. I'm not going to obey that law. So whenever the law goes against what God says, well, we, dis- we can disobey the law. Because that is not, because we cannot violate what God says. Now, to the issue. Rahab lied. So, what do we do with that? Let me give you two ways to look at that, okay? It's, it's never right to do the wrong thing. We know that, right? We know that, right? Okay, you looked at me like, well, I thought maybe I'm in the wrong crowd. You say, but Jim, if she doesn't lie, then the spies die, right? How do you know that? How do you really know that? I mean, like I said, they made a way out for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The fourth man shows up, God intervenes. How do you know that? You don't know. So I'll leave that one open-ended for you to think about. But let me give you the second possibility. I'll defend Rahab, because if I was in her position, I would have probably done the same thing. Anybody? Oh, the rest of you are the super holy ones? Okay. <laughs> um, because it's easy to look at her and say all these things as we're safe in church tonight, right? But here's the issue that I think makes sense. And I think it makes perfect sense. How long has Rahab been walking in faith towards Yahweh? Not long. You don't, I don't know how long, but I, I guarantee it's not, it's not long. So we would say, she's a, in our in our uh, way of looking at things, she's a very, very young Christian. That's how we would gauge her and look at her. Now think. She's been brought up in a heathen home, right? She's been brought up in heathen ways. But she's a young, like we say, Christian, so she only has so much light about God so far, right? And so the light that she does have is prostitution is wrong, I'm giving it up. She lives up to that little bit of light she has. But she's not grown any further because she doesn't have the scroll. She doesn't have a Bible. She doesn't have any of those things. She lives in Jericho. So she's living up to the light that she has and maybe, just maybe, just maybe she doesn't understand that lying is wrong. She hasn't got there yet. She doesn't have that kind of light yet. So that's a possibility. And I say that to say this like I said on Sunday and I'll say it again. And It's one of my favorite illustrations that I use. It's easy to condemn her. It's easy for a black belt Christian to condemn an orange belt Christian. But as a black belt Christian, you've, got all, you've gone through all the testings. You've gone up the ranks. You've been walking for years in this thing. You have a lot of light compared to the orange belt Christian. They don't even have close to the light that you have. They don't even understand it the way you understand it. And so... For those young Christians in the Lord, you got to give them a lot more grace. And you got to come alongside them and educate them on things and not condemn them. Because maybe she's just living up to the light, the limited light that she has. And all she knows is, I'm not going to be a prostitute anymore. But she doesn't know that lying to hide these guys could be a wrong thing. And that's where she's at. 
And I think that is the best answer for what she did in that situation. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful, God, for this event in history that, God, um, this took place like 3,400 years ago. And God, it's so relevant for today. Jesus, I just pray that the things we took tonight, God, that, we, that, we, that they stick to us and they help us in our walk of faith with you. Thank you, Jesus, for all your goodness to us, Lord. And thank you, God, for giving us life and that we, you know, such were some of us. We were that, we're not that anymore. But man, you washed us, you sanctified us, and you justified us. And we have a new identity in you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all said, amen and amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.